0: Our Heavenly Father, we bow here in your presence. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. Father, for these that have been mentioned, for this uh, (coughs) Cody that uh, lost his mother this morning, I pray for this family. I lift them up and I ask your comfort, your guidance, your direction, just that they would know your presence. And Lord, I just um, pray that Cody would have the words to say to those in his family as he comforts them. Lord, we ask now that as we go into the remainder of our service that you would be honored and that you would open up your word to us and challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, why don't you all be seated? <clears throat> Won't you be glad when the holidays are over? I'm telling you, my goodness, this is the last hurrah for a while. So hopefully everybody will be back in town after today. You know, the Bible is very explicit. Um... The Bible, whenever it talks about the people of God, it doesn't pull any punches. It calls them what they are and tells it like it is and um, a warts and all. It seems to just open up and just expose everyone that is in the Scripture for who they are. Today we're going to be talking about a very unusual lady. Her name is Rahab and she's referred to in the Bible as a harlot. And um, we all know what that is and what she her business is and what she has done. But this is not a sermon on the evils of immorality or prostitution. This is indeed a sermon on the wonder of God's grace. In the New Testament, Paul talks about this a lot, but in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, it says this. It says, The law was brought in so the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now, what he's talking about is this. He's saying that when sin came into the world, it just spread like wildfire. And the law that was given by Moses, or God gave it to Moses and brought it into the world, he said when that happened, the law made it get worse. The law exposed sin in everybody and showed them what they really were. And then it also enticed them, because you know human nature, that if you tell somebody not to do something, that's the very thing they're going to do. And so that's what happened. He said, but don't worry about it. He said, because, he said, where sin increased, he said, grace increased even more. It abounded even more. It went beyond the sin. And so this is kind of where we're going with the story today, Um, to be looking at this woman and how God used her and what took place in her life in spite of who she was. And we see the grace of God abound in this particular situation. When we look at the story of Rahab, we see so many truths and so many insights. Um, I'm just going to pull out three today that I think are applicable to all of us and go from there. But with these three truths, I want you to take them to heart. I want you to understand how they apply to your life and how that... Um, your life can change uh, if you begin to apply these things and understand them. I want to jump right into the story. Now, the story is a little lengthy, so I'm going to be skipping through some verses. But I want you to understand the story with Rahab and what is taking place and some of the things that maybe, as you have read this passage in the past, you may have overlooked. You may not be aware of these things or they didn't make sense to you. So let me jump right in there. We're looking in Joshua chapter 2 today in the study of Joshua as we go along. And we're going to be looking in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shidom. Go over, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, this is before they crossed over the Jordan. We've talked about this. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And Joshua now brings them up to the east side of the Jordan River. Once they cross that, they will be into the land of Canaan, which is Israel, or today we know as Israel. And so this is before they cross over. Joshua sends two spies into the land. He says, and especially pay attention to the city of Jericho because that's first on our list. This is the main city that we're going to attack. It is a very well fortified city, huge walls. And this is where we're going. So pay special attention to that one. So the spies go in, and this is what it says that they, they do. They go to the home of Rahab, who was a prostitute. And I've got some questions about this. Um, maybe you can have these questions too. But here are some of the questions. If God knew ahead of time, and he did, what he was going to do to Jericho, he knew ahead of time he was going to basically the people march around the city for seven days. And at the end of that, the walls are going to fall. I'm just going to knock them down. If that's the case, then why did they need to send the spies in? What were they going to bring back that would change or alter that in any way? God's going to do it. And we don't have to really have a strategy. And there wasn't really a need to send the spies in, but yet he sent them in. And why was it that they went to this particular house right off the bat? The house of Rahab, a harlot of all all people, and they go and they enter into this lady's house. Why her? And the more you look at the story and the more you dig into it, here are the answers that I come up with. That it wasn't so much that they went in to spy out the land. Now, from their perspective, it was. Joshua, as a general, you know, um, sent them in to spy out the land, but... God sent him in to secure Rahab. You see, God knew that there was one believer and her family in this wicked city of Jericho. And God sent two spies in to go to her home and secure her and her home. Now this again, you think about this in terms of the grace of God and the providence of God and how God takes care of his own. And this is a truth that is found all through scripture. Now, From their perspective, maybe the men didn't know what was going on. They simply thought where else would be better to hide than to go to the home of a prostitute because strange men going in and out of that house wouldn't raise any suspicion. But from God's perspective, God knew her faith. God knew what she was other than her profession. And God said, no, you go to her house because I want to secure her. And so he sent the spies there. Now, God does this all through Scripture. Think with me for a moment about Lot. We find in Genesis that Lot is living in Sodom. Sodom is about to be destroyed. The angel of God goes into the city and goes to the home of Lot to get him out. And through a series of events, they bring him outside the city, he and his family. And the angel says to him to get up into the mountains because the city is about to be destroyed. Lot says, I can't make it to the mountains, Maybe he was old and out of shape. I don't know. I can relate to that. But at any rate, he said, let me go down to this little city down here. It's, you know, it's called Zoar, and, and let me go there. And the angel said, okay, I'll let you go to the city. And you need to understand this. That city was slated to be destroyed, too. It was all of the cities in the plain. But he said, I'll spare that city. I'll let you go there. And then in Genesis nineteen twenty-two, here's what he says, the angel now speaking to Lot. But flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. Hmm. Lot, you need to understand something. God's going to destroy the city, but not until you get out of here. I'm going to destroy Jericho, God says, but not until Rahab is protected. God says to the church, I'm going to destroy the world, but not until you are taken out of here. And you and I, in this day and age, more than any other time in history, we look at this situation, this world situation that we live in, and we can't help but wonder, you know, how quickly God is going to come. But rest assured, no matter how bad it does get and what God does allow us to go through before the great tribulation that he talks about in the Scripture, then you and I are going to be taken out of here because God always secures his believers before he brings judgment. Now let's go on with the story. As the story goes on, um, the king of, of the city sends spies of his own. He's had them watching these guys forever. And you're going to find out they've been watching the Israelites since they crossed the Red Sea 40 years ago. And they've been watching them. He knew exactly when the spies crossed the Jordan River because he's been watching them. And they no sooner you get to the house of Rahab than the soldiers come and they say, We know the two spies of the Israelites came in here, and Rahab assures them and convinces them that they left. She said they took off and they've left. If you go out the gate and go chase them down, they're heading down the road there. And they bought her some time. So they did. And it says after they left, Rahab goes back into the spies, the Israelites, and here's what she says. Starting in verses 8, going through verses 8 through 11 of Joshua 2. She says this, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. We've heard of that. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. Listen to this now. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and on the earth below. Now, this is quite a profession of faith coming from a woman who doesn't know any better. But here she is and what she has seen, and we don't know her age. I'm going to assume she's probably in her 20s. Um, I'll tell you why I believe that later on. But I believe she's probably in her 20s. Now, she has... um, heard already that um all these things have been done in the past and she's saying that the people that have heard this and are aware of this all of us are melting with fear she said but because i've heard these things i know them to be true and i believe it and i believe that your god the god of the israelites is god he's the only one she's the woman of faith we can't explain it except that the grace of God, the providence of God, in some way has enabled her to understand and to see and to put two and two together and come to the conclusion that, yeah, this is true, it's real, and she's put her faith in God. And notice that they have been, they have been aware of this for 40 years since the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. They have known what's going to take place. They have probably sent spies in among the people. Just think of this. There's two million Jews roaming around in the desert out there. It would be very easy to slip somebody in that's dressed in Jewish garb just to find out what's going on. And that's probably what they've done, but they know exactly their, their plan. Now the story goes on. It says in verses 12 and 13, Now then, and she's still talking to the spies, Now then, please swear to me, "...by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death." Now, she's a smart gal. The spies come in. She knows who they are. She welcomes them into her home. And here she is. Let's make a deal here, okay? Because I will take care of you, but I want something in return. I want me and for, for me and my family to be spared. Now here's how the spies respond in verse fourteen they say, our lives for your lives the men assured her if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. If you will do that, then we will honor this this request now it's, Odd, but the two men have the authority to do this, evidently. If you help us, you've expressed your faith in our God, and we will secure you and your family. And so they do, as we'll find out here in a moment. In verses 12 through 15, So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you, Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then you can go on your way. Now, I don't know whether they stayed overnight or they decide it's best to leave then. We're not sure on that. But at any rate, she lets them down through a rope in her window. Now, the walls are tremendous in Jericho. But her home, along with other homes, their back wall of their house is the wall surrounding the city. And they have windows looking out of the city gate or the city wall, into whoever is coming their way, whatever enemy is surrounding them. So she lets them down and tells them to go and hide for three days. And she's probably figured out it's going to take these guys about three days to get to where I've sent them and to get back. So she's estimating it here. But three days will probably be fine. Then you can return home. We'll look down at verses 17 through 20. Now the men had said to her, now this is before they left, they had said to her before this, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all of your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. So they say, sure, we'll do it. And they, they say to her, here's the stipulation, that when we come into Jericho, you better have hanging out of, the, out of your window on the outside of this wall a scarlet cord. So that we can see it. And we will know that this is your house, and we will give orders to everyone to secure this house and to not touch these people. Now, isn't it interesting? The scarlet cord. Part of it was so we could see it, but here it is again, all through the scripture the scarlet cord, the blood, the representation of the blood. You know, when Noah, Noah went into the ark, God said, Everybody that's in the ark will be protected in the middle of all this destruction but you've got to stay in the ark. Here they are now. And he's saying, okay, you'll be spared, but you've got to stay in the house. At the Passover, the same thing. You'll be spared. The blood is on your doors, but don't go outside the house. You and I are in Christ by faith. And we are secure. The blood, the scarlet cord that runs from Genesis to Revelation has saved us and his cleansed us. And we are secure in Christ. And we'll go through, I'm sure, some horrible things in this world before God brings it to an end. And I don't know how bad it'll be, but we are secure. The ark was a type of Christ. This house that they are in is a type of Christ. Can you imagine this? Now understand, when the city walls of Jericho fell, they just fell except for that one house on the city wall. One thing, one little monument standing there amidst all the destruction, the house of Rahab, where all of these people were gathered with the scarlet cord hanging out of the window. God said, spare that one. And they did. They go back now, they report to Joshua, and as we'll see next week, they make plans to cross over the Jordan River and all of the things that happened with that. And I'm sure that scared them even worse when that took place because of the miraculous things that take place there. Now, Here's what I want to do in the time I have remaining. I want to share with you three of the lessons that come out of this passage and three things that you and I need to take and apply to our lives. And probably these are three things you've heard before to some degree, but maybe, maybe you haven't thought about them in this way. So I want you to pay special attention to these three things as I go through them. Here's the first thing that I want you to see. I want you to see that faith is less complex than people think. I didn't say it was simple because I didn't want want to say it that way. I wanted to say to you that faith is not as complex as people make it out to be. Because sometimes we do that. We make faith in God something that is difficult and it shouldn't be that way. As you look through the scriptures, that's not the way in which it's portrayed. That's not the way in which we learn it. Now, for example, we will redefine faith. We will say to somebody, yeah, you've got to have faith in Jesus Christ, but that means that you've got to go to church. That means what faith really means is that you've got to turn over a new leaf and you've got to stop doing whatever it was you're doing. You've got to be a better person than what you are. That's what faith really means when it's talked about in the Bible, and that's what you have to do. And the truth is that's not the case. The truth is, that's not true. It's amazing to me how that whenever we come to explaining and defining faith, that we can't do it with a sense of courage and boldness to proclaim it the way the Bible portrays it. We always have to add works in some way. We do. We make it hard and complex because we tell people that before God will ever forgive you, you've got to give up everything you're doing this sinful Because God won't save you if you don't. You're just taking advantage of the grace of God if you think He's going to forgive you unless you give up everything you're doing wrong. Man, (laughs) I always like to ask those people, have you given up everything you've ever done? Do you still have those moments of weakness where you succumb to things that you used to do? But how how can you proclaim that? How can you teach that to somebody else? You see, we want to judge people. We want to to question whose faith is real and whose isn't. We always do it by the way they behave and what's going on in their lives and the sin that's there or not there. And and we we proudly say, well, that person's saved because they don't do those terrible things. And in reality, if they're saved, they're saved because of the grace of God and has nothing to do with whether they do those terrible things. Always the grace of God, and we kind of diminish and give grace a black eye. We say, Okay, okay, you got you if you're a believer in Christ and you're saved, but in order for that to really be real, you've got to have the right theology. So, you if you're let's just an example here the, if you're Pentecostal, you can't really be trusting in Christ, if you're not Pentecostal, you can't really be saved. You know, if you're a high church, formal, traditional type of church, that you probably aren't saved. A bunch of liberals go to those churches. If, um, you know, you're one of these hellfire and brimstone Baptists that add works to everything and judge everybody, you can't really be saved because those people don't understand grace. And the list goes on and on about who is and who isn't and who is going to get in and who isn't. If you believe in a pre trib rapture, you're okay. But if not, then I don't know about you. You may not be saved. God never said anything about trusting in him and believing at what point or knowing or having the answer for when he's coming back. That's a question we all debate. Let me tell you the real truth as we look at the story of Rahab, okay? Here's the truth. When Rahab put her faith in, in God, that he was the one and only God heaven above and on earth, he's it, none of these idols, I'm turning to him, he is He is God. When she did that, at whatever point in her life she did that, did she, Rahab, ever see what the Israelites and what God had done to Egypt, how they devastated that land when they left? Had she ever seen firsthand with her own eyes the parting of the Red Sea? had she ever seen with her own eyes the Israelites out in the desert destroying the army of of, uh, whoever it was, the Og and somebody else, that came against them. She never saw any of this. Not one thing. Everything that she knew and everything that she understood was hearsay. Things that she had been told. But yet she believed it. She said, I'm convinced on what I've heard that this is God. He is the one true God, not these idols that I've been told, but I believe that He is it. And she put her faith in Him as the God who was real based on what she had heard and not what she had seen. That's pretty simplistic. But that's the way faith is. And this is also the reason why your story, your testimony is so important. Because people make decisions based on what you tell them. And they don't have to have a lot of evidence or a lot of proof. They don't have to know all of the scriptures. You tell them something and the Spirit of God convicts and they make a decision and that is faith. And there'll be some of us who say, oh, no, no, no. They've got to jump through some hoops first. They'll always be those people. But you need to understand the simplicity of what faith is. Now, listen to what I'm about to tell you. And I don't, let me finish before you judge me on this, okay? And um, let me get further into this sermon and I'll clarify some things. There is no evidence whatsoever that when Rahab, at whatever point in her life, she came to this realization and became a woman of faith, there is no evidence in Scripture that tells us or shows us or even alludes to the fact that she ever stopped being a prostitute and this is important I read some commentaries this week and here's what they said they were jumping over backwards trying to make her into something she wasn't and they said things like this they said well it's evident Uh, she came to faith at some point in her life and she had already stopped being a prostitute Because they say, well, she had scarlet cord and she had probably made the dye and probably was distributing it. And that was very expensive. She probably was in business for herself doing something different. Well, that's great fairy tale. But the Bible doesn't say that. Do you know that everywhere in Scripture that Rahab is mentioned, she's mentioned as Rahab the harlot? Not Rahab the former harlot, not Rahab who used to be a harlot, not any of that. She is t- referred to as Rahab the harlot because when they came into the land, that's who she was. So you've got a problem with their theology here, okay? Because see, those of us that can't accept the fact that a woman of ill repute could be a believer and still not yet have given up this lifestyle, that doesn't compute, Because you see, we've been conditioned to think and to believe that when somebody comes to faith, they automatically change. All things are passed away. All things become new. If you're not doing this, then you're not really a Christian. And we do that all the time. And when it comes to Rahab, you've got a problem because here's a woman who, by all indications, had not given up this lifestyle because she didn't know any difference. Guys, you've got to listen and understand this, okay? In the culture she lived in, here's, here's what she lived in and among, okay? In the culture of the Canaanites, there were temple prostitutes. Now, you've got to understand why, okay, to understand this and appreciate it. But in that culture, they go down to worship their pagan gods in their temple, and prostitutes are provided, and immorality was rampant in the temples. Here's the reason why. Their understanding, their, 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 their theology, if you will, was this, that the gods that they worship, in order for those gods to bless our land, to make our crops grow, to make our, our cattle and, and sheep have babies, to make our wives pregnant, to, to bring about abundance in the land, they have to be excited. They have to be aroused. Because fertility flowed from the gods to them. And that was the whole reason they did it. This was a culture she lived in where this was a way of life. They would take and sacrifice their children to their gods in order to bring about fertility in their land because that was their their livelihood. That was their life. For any of us to think that this woman living in that culture and never knowing anything about the law of Moses would have been anything more than that or different, we're just We're we're fooling ourselves because we're trying to equate Rahab with a New Testament believer who's filled with the Spirit of God, and she wasn't. And I believe, that, at least according to the Scriptures, because it doesn't tell us any differently, that right until the men came and found her, that was her life. That was her livelihood. And yeah, she was a believer. Not in the New Testament sense. Because Old Testament believers weren't the same. There was a difference. Spirit of God being the main thing did not indwell her. But from what revelation she had, what knowledge she had, she believed. This is God. And I want to know more about him. And I'm just waiting for these guys to get here to tell me. And so, yeah. She was not any different at that time. But she became different later. You know, the same thing is true of you and me as well. Listen very carefully, okay? If the grace of God is as simple as the Bible portrays it to be, then you have got to acknowledge the fact that a person can put their faith in Jesus Christ and the change may or may not occur until later on and it may be a process in which takes a, an amount of time. Listen to this verse. It's in John chapter 6, verse 47. Jesus said this, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. That's about as clear as you can get. It's about as simple as you can get. When you believe, when do you have eternal life? When you die? He says you have it right now. That when you believed, God the Father gave you as a gift at that moment in time, eternal life. Now here's another question, listen. Because if the life that I've been given is eternal, when does it ever end? Never. Okay, so now wait a minute. You mean a person that is living in the the ghettos and and a drug dealer and a pimp or whatever, whoever that may be. I'm trying to think of the worst people we can think of. When that person comes to Jesus Christ in that moment in time when he believes God gives him eternal life right then. Absolutely. Well, doesn't he have to clean his act up? Doesn't he have to stop doing what he's doing? Eventually. See? The whole thing about the Christian life is a process. God said, he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. We are the ones who muddy the waters. We are the ones who put contingencies and, and conditions on it. We are the ones that say, oh, well, no, you, you can't, you're not saved yet. You might have faith, but you're not saved until you make some changes. And you're going to have a problem supporting that in Scripture. Because the Bible talks about people growing in their faith and growing stronger. And I believe with all my heart that God changes people. I know it. And I believe with all my heart that you and I as believers who put their faith in Jesus Christ are going to change whether we like it or not. But we may not do it right then. If you have doubts about your salvation, if you have doubts about your relationship with the Lord, let me tell you what your problem is. Here's your problem. You're looking at yourself and not Him. You see, you're looking at yourself and your weaknesses and your sins, and you're imposing on God's grace what you believe to be true, that God can't love me if I'm doing that. And God says, my grace, where your sin abounds, my grace is greater than that. You can't can't get around this. Now, please understand what I'm saying, that God has every intention of changing you. And that brings me to the next point. Here's point number two. Listen very carefully. Faith cannot hide for long. Faith can't hide for long. People come to Christ and they don't know anything except that Jesus died on the cross and they put their faith in him and the Bible says they have been given eternal life freely. God says, now you're my child and I have begun a good work in you and I'm going to change you. And you may not want to do that right now. You may be thinking you're going to do it later or never at all. You may have all kind of ideas. You may be comfortable in your sinful lifestyle and all of these things. But let me tell you something. Your faith is going to come out because I will not allow it to stay hidden. And you will change because I'm going to change you. It's not a condition, it's a result. It's what's going to happen because of my grace. Now watch this. When Rahab goes up to talk to those two spies, her faith just spewed out everywhere. I've been waiting all my life for this. You know, I'm just I'm, I'm ad-libbing here, okay? She didn't say this, but she'd say, something. I've been waiting all my life to talk to you. I have heard these stories and I believe and I'm convinced that the God of the Israelites is the one true God in heaven and earth. I know that. I got a million questions and I got all kinds of things I want to know. But she professed to these men her faith. It came out. I, I doubt that she had ever said that to anybody in her life for fear of maybe dying because everybody in the in the war in their their little world they lived in was scared to death at this point. This was a tremendous risk for her. For her to hide these spies with threat of death was a tremendous risk for her, but she did it. Why? Because I believe this. And because I believe it I can't be quiet. I can't let these men go. I can't let them possibly be killed. I believe this. I I can't be silent. And this is my point, that faith always comes out, maybe not at the speed that we think that it should. That's our fault for thinking that. God's in control of this. And when God gets a hold of a person's life, God's working to change them. I'm not going to dictate how fast God has to do that. And it may not come out of the way we think. We see, we always want to take our personal life story and transpose it onto somebody else to say, here's what happened to me. Because some people this happens to. The moment I put my faith in Christ, God changed me and I never look back. And I've never been silent since, we'll say. So that must be the, the method for everybody. And we've got to be patient. Because when somebody's faith is is real, it's going to come out. Maybe not in the same way at the same time, but it does come out. Her faith was real. Listen to this. The New Testament writers, listen. In Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter on faith, the Old Testament believers and their faith, goes down this laundry list of great men and women of God. In verse 31, he says this. By faith... The prostitute Rahab. Now notice that. She's still referred to as the prostitute because that's how they they came to know her. The prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. What saved her? Her faith. They reached out to these men because she believed in God. It came out. She lived it. This is what James means. He says the same thing in chapter 2, verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? We know she was a woman of faith because it came out and she lived it. Now, her understanding was limited. She did not, did not, had no idea of the law of Moses. You mean this is sinful? I didn't know this was sinful. But when she learned, she quit. Her lifestyle changed when she became part of the nation of Israel. When you understand the grace of God, now I'm not talking about religion, I'm not talking about just understanding faith. When you come to really understand God's grace and what it really means, you're going to explode if you don't tell somebody. Because when you really understand it, you can't be quiet. When I came to finally understand what grace was, and just let me tell you, I grew up in a little church, and, and I had made professions of faith, and I always questioned whether I knew or was saved or whatever, and I to this day can't tell you the truth whether I was or not. I probably was, just didn't know it. But when I finally came to understand grace, and that God loved me that much, All I wanted to do was share it with other people. All I wanted to do was honor him with the way that I lived, and I start cleaning myself up and trying to be different, and with his help, changes are made. Sometimes you slip back. Sometimes you go forward. Sometimes you revert back for a while, and you come back again. That's the Christian life, unfortunately, for many of us. But if I don't tell somebody, I'm going to explode because faith cannot hide for very long it 's got to come out. Now you may be sitting there thinking to yourself I'm i 'm struggling. I doubt whether God loves me, I doubt whether i 'm a Christian because I look at my life and I see things in my life just you know, here 's rahab this this immoral woman, and I see some immorality in my life, and I see The way I think and the way I act and and things like that. And I question my salvation. And I'm telling you, if that is the case, to get your eyes off yourself. Because that doesn't determine your salvation. The grace of God does. And when you believe that, in time, your faith will come out. Because the Spirit of God lives in you. And the Spirit of God is not going to let you live that way. He will change you. But oftentimes it's a process. Very quickly, here's the third and final thing. I'm not going to take up a lot of time here. The third thing is this, that God will use you regardless of your past. God will use you regardless of your past. Here's another place in Scripture where Rahab is mentioned. It's in Matthew chapter 1. It's the lineage of Christ. Matthew portrays, goes all the way back to Adam, brings forward and says this is who this." Ancestors were. Listen to Matthew chapter 1 verses 5 through 6. It says that Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Now watch what this is saying because of the way it's written is kind of... Convoluted here, but here's what it means. It says that when Rahab came into the society of the Israelites, she gave up her lifestyle. She turned totally and completely to the, to the God of heaven, honoring the law of Moses, and married a man named Solomon. They had a son. His name was Boaz. I'm sorry, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. His mother was Boaz. Boaz, yeah, he fathered Obed. And Obed, whose mother was so that means that Boaz and Ruth got married. You know the story of that. It's the whole book of Ruth. She was a Moabite. And God in His grace took her in too. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And you know from Scripture that King David was the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Now you've got to ask yourself this. How in the world, why, Would God use a prostitute as the great, great, great grandmother of King David? And why would she in turn be an ancestor of Jesus Christ? Why would she be in this lineage? And there's really only one answer. The grace of God. And that God doesn't look at the person's past. God uses the person. And now, you you listen to this very carefully because God in His grace overcame her pagan beliefs. God in His grace overcame her wicked lifestyle. And God in His grace overcame her bleak future. Because without Him, she would have died in Jericho. But because of the grace of God, she lived and was honored by being one of the ancestors of the Lord Himself. If... If you look through the scriptures, you find that God uses all kinds of people. And I don't know about you, but it makes me happy because, you know, if God could use her, then God can use me. And if God could use me or her, God can use you too. And it doesn't matter what your past is because God looks at you from the inside. He says, I see that faith and I'll honor that. And let me tell you, I see you desiring to know me and I see you desiring to want to be with me and I see you wanting to make changes in your life and I'm going to use that and I'm going to honor you. And he does. And to you, here's what I would say. You have to let go. This is not God's problem. This is your problem. You have to let go of the guilt and the shame. Because the guilt and the shame hold us back from honoring God and serving God more than anything else. Because we look at ourselves and say we can't do it. God says get your eyes off of you and get them on me because I can do it. And I will use you. But you have to step up. You have to step up. You gotta let go and you gotta make yourself available. You see, here's a good definition of faith. Now listen to it very carefully. Faith means that you believe that God wiped it all away. Faith means that you believe that God wiped it all away. When you come to Christ as your Savior, you're saying His death on the cross wiped it all away. If you're struggling to serve Him, then ask yourself, do you really trust Him? And to you, I would say you've got to trust him that much. Let go. Let it go. Live like the person that God says that you are. Let me take a minute and recap. All right, here's what we've learned. Faith is not as complex as we make it. If you are here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, then you can do it very simply because it is that simple. Whosoever believes has eternal life. If you have doubts about that or questions, then come and see me. You can see me after this or you can come during the week and see me, but come and see me. Here's the second thing. Faith will always work its way out in the open. Faith will always work its way out. The sooner you let that happen, the happier you're going to be. You really will. And thirdly is this, that God will use anybody, even you. Take a chance. Step out and watch what God can do with you. It's quite a journey. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, Lord, we are so thankful, so grateful for the stories of the Bible where you don't sugarcoat them, you don't dress them up, you just portray your people. As they really are. And Father, we're so thankful for this lady, Rahab, whose faith was honored. Because Lord, we sometimes see things like this in our lives. Maybe not exactly the same situation, but similar things where we are living life on our own terms. And Father, it has prevented us from walking with you faithfully. Father, may all of us begin to understand that our faith has to come out. And that through your power working in us, it can do that. And that we are all different people with different backgrounds and different personalities. But God, you have loved us. And you want to use us. Father, my prayer now is for each one of us. That we surrender. We say to you, you are God. I am not. Your grace has abounded to more than my sin. Now change me. Into who you want me to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.